ye student bodies, welcome to this month's meeting of Super Chillers, an exclusive club where we read and discuss retro teen horror novels. <laughs> I'm Jeffrey. And I'm Katie. And today we're discussing Devil Wind from the Dark Forces series by Lori Bridges and Paul Alexander. This one doesn't have a tagline. <laughs> A force from beyond the grave. The day is perfect for sailing, so Peter and Marianne happily cast off from their New England hometown of Northport. They can't resist stopping in a mysterious cove that they've never visited together before. Then Peter shows Marianne the antique whistle he has found. When he lifts it to his lips and blows, its ominous tone is heard by a hideous evil buried for 300 years. A horror that rises with the wind and plunges their lives into a hellish nightmare. Together, summoning all the strength they have, they must escape a fate far more terrifying than death itself. The devil wind. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hate that devil wind. Oh, boy. So, uh, Katie, this is your first Dark Forces book, correct? Yes. Yeah. So Dark Forces is an interesting series. Um, They came out in the 80s. When is this exactly? 1983. Yeah. yeah so we're talking like early to mid 80s. Uh, and as uh, my copy says, they went through a few different printings. This My copy's in its fourth printing. Wild. Oh. Um, so they were they were fairly popular. It ran for 15 volumes. Um, it's one of those uh, kind of like the, the Twilight Where Darkness Begins series. It's kind of an anthology series where... Each one is self-contained, dealing with a totally different story and group of characters, and generally is written by a different author. Um, our authors here wrote a few entries in the series, um, but, you know, the entries are unrelated to one another. Uh, the Dark Forces books are most notable for being incredibly religious. They are <laughs> extremely Christian, uh, to an extent, sometimes. Uh, The ones that I've read previously have had very sort of like shoehorned in Christian endings uh, where like a priest comes and wards away the evil. A little bit of a spoiler that doesn't quite happen in this one, which uh, made it a very uh, uh, different reading experience in the the Dark Forces uh, pantheon. Um, So uh, before we talk about this cover, just a little bit of information about our authors here. Uh, we have Paul Alexander and Lori Bridges. I was able to find a little bit of information about them. As I mentioned, they did uh, write a few different um, entries in this series together. And then I think Lori Bridges went on to do one on her own. Um, Paul Alexander, is uh, his real name is Paul Zink. I found his LinkedIn account. Uh, he's, a, <laughs> he's a copywriter. And uh, uh, he's still, uh, I thought this was cool. He still uh, touts his, uh, or touts, he still touts his uh, contributions to the Dark Forces series on his LinkedIn page. Whoa. Saying, you know, they've been out of print for a very long time, but uh, they have a bit of a cult following. Oh, so cool. <laughs> I mean, I would tout that. Yeah, right. <laughs> and Lori Bridges, uh, also known as Lorraine Bruck, that is her real name. She worked in public relations and then was the vice president of the Bruck Corporation. Uh, and uh, if she's still alive, she's apparently 100 years old. Um, so I think she was quite a bit older than Paul Alexander when they collaborated together here. 
Um, she also worked as writer and projects coordinator for Southbury Press Incorporated, uh, which, if you notice, is who uh, this book is copyrighted to. So I think that she and this company were sort of like a packaging service who would, you know, write books for series like Dark Forces. Um, so that was pretty cool. I, I tried to find out some more information about Southbury Press and if they were related to anything else that we've uh, that we like in the field of uh, YA fiction. Wasn't able to find anything, but I'll, I'll keep looking. <laughs> So you want to lead us through this cover? <laughs> I would love to. So we see a mysterious figure in a hooded cloak who appears to have sort of greenish, ghoulish skin. <laughs> He's holding up a young girl wearing a nightgown. It's possible that this is part of some sort of ritual because there are candles lit on the platform in front of him and there's lightning striking in the background. <laughs> and the title... Devil Wind is written in a cool gothic-y serif font that I quite like. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also see that the Dark Forces series <laughs> has a logo, which is um, sort of a demon gargoyle creature <laughs> holding a banner that says Dark Forces. <laughs> it's a nice, like, uh, like engraved golden. It's got, like, rivets in it, this, yeah. uh, this golden plaque. I love that he's holding it up. He's so helpful. He is. Uh, (laughs) And he's also like smiling very proudly. Like, look, I made this. (laughs) I work for Dark Forces. (laughs) Um, So this is a uh, depicting a scene that does not occur in the book. Um, You know, what what can you do? Sometimes you lose. I'm imagining that's supposed to be Marianne, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, one of our leads who is being held by this uh, robed figure probably um you know spoiler alert if anything this ghoulish figure should be carrying peter but it would probably look strange if he was carrying a 17 year old boy in his arms i noted the same thing i'm actually honestly quite disappointed that that's not what the cover is Uh, i think it would be a much more striking cover um i I do you know the the robe is one thing it kind of looks a bit more like a satanic snuggie than a, yeah, a a truly menacing uh, uh, robe. What, what's up with the green skin? I know, you know, he's been buried for like 300 years. Is that just what happens? I guess so. You don't get a lot of vitamin D, so you just kind of turn greenish and ghoulish like a Muppet. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's a Muppet when they're dead. All right, so let's move on to talk about this wily cast of characters, uh, or largely actually quite sleepy cast of characters. Uh, first up is Peter Wardwell. Wardrell? No, it's Wardwell. Uh, he is a sailing aficionado and maritime lingo dropper. He is a self-described inveterate collector of rusty old whistles. And don't you dare tell him he doesn't need another whistle. (laughs) Uh, He does. It's important. Yes. Uh, After Peter blows his little whistle, he's plagued by stinky fogs, head wounds, restless nights, and very haughty whispering voices that won't let him rest. He's described by his loved ones as having a great sense of humor, but we'll leave that up to you to decide. This is why you shouldn't pick up trash from construction sites and put it in your mouth. (laughs) He's like, I cleaned it. No, you didn't. didn't. 
Uh, Marianne Duchamp is our co-lead of this book. She is the only lovely green-eyed girl that Peter's head has room for thoughts of. She learns sailing real fast. For a girl, quoth Peter, uh, like every teen, loves to drink giant glasses of milk. <laughs> There's where I think a little bit of like the uh, the Christian influence comes in. Just an assumption that everybody drinks giant glasses of milk. Uh, very concerned, Marianne is, about Peter's strange behavior, especially because she really likes Peter. Because, you know, he's so darn funny and warm and because he looks just like her dead dad when he was young. What? Why did you tell us this? <laughs> Aside from um, that strange statement, um, you know, I would at at the beginning I was worried that Marianne would be this one dimensional girlfriend sidekick to Peter who just makes his picnic lunches, but she turned out to be so smart and brave. I really liked her as a character. Yeah, smart and brave, and still makes the picnic lunches. <laughs> <laughs> she can do it all. <laughs> she she can do and have it all. Sam Hopkins, he is an old sea dog who uses his boat and seafaring knowledge to help the kids out of a picnic pickle and then sticks around just long enough to get dusted. Want to know what I mean by that? Stay tuned. (laughs) (laughs) Not much of a personality here for Sam. Uh, He's the kindly old man who shows up in these sort of books whose forehead might as well be stamped with an expiration date. And he always has sandwich ingredients with him. (laughs) (laughs) marianne learned it from him yeah uh miss elizabeth durham this is mary ann's elderly neighbor with a large elegant house and an ungrateful little witch of a cat named miranda (laughs) Uh, her family has old roots in northport and uh, used to be quite a social bunch but they've dwindled down to just liz the last surviving member she knows more about whistles and devil winds than she initially lets on, but if you bring her a pot pie, she's sure to open up. <laughs> I really loved the description of Miss Durham's house. It sounded so elegant with its brocade fabrics and draperies made of velvet. That's what I want my house to look like one day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Simon Wardwell, uh, one bad warlock. And that's when a witch is a man, if you didn't know. Long ago, in 1685, he had a cool crew and did witchy things, but the town didn't like it, so they burned him at the stake and tore his cronies to bits. Uh, Luckily, Simon dropped a cursed whistle in the dirt, so now he's a ghost out of time, looking to make his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandnephew drink his blood. So usually in these sorts of situations where we have a witch or a warlock up against a village of puritanical zealots, I'm usually team witch or warlock. But not in this case, not when he's literally raising H-E double hockey sticks, pardon my language. (laughs) Um, just, just by the little bit of, um, dialogue late in the book we have from, uh, Simon Wardwell's spirit, um, he seems kind of unpleasant. He's a little bit haughty, as I mentioned before, um, a little bit judgy. We just have no room for him. And we know that he's stinky. He he does smell really bad. (laughs) Actually, I think those are his friends. Like he might smell good, but he hangs out with stinky people Mm -hmm. and the stinky people go wherever he goes. So it's just not, it's not going to work. Sorry. We have to burn you alive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Catherine Boyden is the person who made this all happen. Look up. See that portrait over there? 
the one of the old-timey woman whose features aren't classically pretty, but you'd maybe describe as strong and sensitive. That's Catherine Boyden, the cool good witch of old-timey Northport. She somehow escaped the whole being burned at the stake thing by making cool potions for the townsfolk and claiming her power came from God. That's a very good cheat code. Um, you know, it's fine. It's from God. Uh, she helped the town out by putting a spell on Simon Wardwell that allowed the town to light him up. Do you have any portraits of your relatives from 1685? I don't, but I should start uh, investing in them. <laughs> I didn't really know portraits existed that, that far back. Uh, we have one last character to talk about. This is uh, Monty, Marianne's dog, who loves licking her face, presumably to get at her milk mustache. Or, <laughs> as uh, I, I saw a post on, on Instagram just yesterday that, uh, you know, it was, it was a lot of big text on an image, which means that it's, you know, true, right? Uh -huh. uh, that said, scientists say dogs lick us because we have bones inside and they want them. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's horrifying. Is well, I think true? that's Monty's relationship <laughs> with Marianne. Oh my gosh. I'll never look at dogs the same way again. <laughs> <laughs> I think we are ready to start moving through the plot of this twisty, blustery book. Katie, you want to want to lead us through? I'm so excited to lead us through. I'd like to start with reading just a short prologue. It says, Only the whistle survived. It was all that was left of Simon Wardwell. As he was led to the stake by his jailers and accusers, he let the whistle drop from his hand. Bright and shiny, it was picked up and pocketed in haste. Sharp eyes had seen it fall, and a small figure had darted between the feet of the onlookers and snatched it from the dust. And Simon Wardwell shrieked his last curse. <laughs> Do we ever find out who that small that small figure is? I'm imagining it's a it's a relative. I don't know. Maybe it's Monty. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> He was playing, he thought they were playing fetch. Oh. But he was playing the long game. <laughs> okay, so we jump forward to present day 1983. Peter is out on his boat on a sunny day. He pulls this whistle out of his pocket and starts to blow it. This is the whistle that he found at the site of an old house in his town that was being torn down. And as soon as he blows this whistle, the weather starts to change. It was like a squall came out of nowhere and swallowed up the beautiful sunny day. So he pulls into a little cove that he had never been to before. He notices that this cove is eerily beautiful, but it also has this strange putrid odor all around like the smell of rot or decay. So he thinks, I'd sure love to bring my girlfriend here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he literally says that. He's like, wow, it's so eerie and stinky. Let's <laughs> let's bring Marianne. Yeah, that's a good note to all the people out there with girlfriends. They love being taken to stinky places. <laughs> it's a great idea for a first date, too. Yeah. So the next day, Peter and Marianne pack up a picnic lunch and set out in Peter's little boat. It's another beautiful day and they're having a great time. But then Peter pulls out his whistle to show Marianne. She thinks it's kind of an ugly piece of garbage, but then he blows on it. 
And I thought the description of this sound the whistle made was very cool and creepy. It reads, The sound the whistle made was like a chorus of insane voices whispering and giggling and babbling in some unholy chant. And there was a deeper, more ominous sound, like a powerful foghorn or a slowly toiling church bell. Um, I thought that was very spooky. <laughs> I want to know, like, like, how could a whistle possibly make that sound? I don't know. I think it's because it's the devil's whistle. It, it is the devil's or the warlock's whistle. Yeah. Absolutely. But it's. I'm imagining it was still, like, from from an outside perspective, it was still just making, like, a tweet, tweet, tweet sound. Yeah. Um, but they're in the moment, so it sounds much more demonic to them. Yeah. I guess it has, like, multiple reads. Um, so, again, pretty much as soon as he stops blowing the whistle, the weather changes again. A tremendous fog rolls in, so thick that Peter and Marianne get separated. And Marianne finds the boat, but the motor is dead, and the boat becomes untethered in the storm. So Marianne's being dragged out to the open sea with no way to control the boat. And meanwhile, she's screaming Peter's name, but there's no sign of him on shore. Peter ends up wandering off the beach into the woods, where mysterious things start happening to him. But he trips and he hits his head and is knocked unconscious. So Marianne is saved by this friendly old fisherman named Sam Hopkins, who's also out on the water. He pulls her onto his boat, which is much better equipped to handle the storm, and he goes back to the cove to look for Peter. And Peter's in a terrible state once he finds him. He's got this head injury, but he's also in sort of a catatonic state due to whatever he experienced on shore. And once he's back at home, Peter's parents tuck him in for the night, but Peter starts hearing haunting voices calling his name. The room gets very chilly, and Peter enters a trance-like state. There's an invisible, tall, shrouded figure standing by his bed watching him, and then the figure begins to speak. And I'm not very good at creepy voices, but just imagine a creepy voice here saying, <laughs> Peter Wardwell, thou hast summoned my master, Simon Wardwell. For centuries he hath waited for thee, now vengeance shall be his. Thou hast the whistle that called the master from his waiting, and thou shalt be the instrument of his revenge. Um, there's a lot of old English dialogue in this book. <laughs> <laughs> so the next day, Marianne is eager to visit Peter to see how he's feeling, but they end up getting in a fight when Marianne asks him to throw out that gross old creepy whistle. And he's very protective over this whistle. And he ends up breaking up with Marianne and throwing her out of his house. <laughs> I think his exact words are um, something along the line of, Don't tell me what to do with my whistle! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this is, of course, alarming for Marianne because just minutes before he was acting completely normal. So weeks go by and Peter continues to be very cold and distant toward Marianne. So she ends up making a new friend instead. This is her elderly neighbor, Miss Durham. Miss Durham is very kind to her and listens to her carefully when Marianne goes on and on about Peter's strange behavior, especially when Marianne mentions Peter's whistle and the strange storm that occurred that day that set their whole fight in motion. And Miss Durham seems to have an inkling that Peter's strange behavior might be connected to mysterious events that happened in their town hundreds of years ago. So now, more and more strange things are occurring all over town. The local graveyard is vandalized. 
people's pets start going missing and turning up dead. And since Peter is still ignoring her, Marianne spends more and more time with Miss Durham, and she learns more about the legends of their town. So, once upon a time, there was this evil warlock named Simon Wardwell, who worshipped the devil. It was said that he and his followers even performed human sacrifices. And Miss Durham's family is a distant ancestor of one of the other settlers of that time. This is Catherine. So Catherine had these supernatural powers, but she was also a healer, and she only used her powers for good, so the people of the town really respected her and sort of protected her. And the settlers lived in fear of Simon and his evil followers. So one day, Catherine put a spell on Simon that was able to demobilize him long enough for the townsfolk to carry him off, and they burned him at the stake as a warlock. So Marianne is eager to learn more about the town's history, so Miss Durham gives her a very old book that describes everything that happened in great detail. So one night, Marianne goes over to Miss Durham's house, but she sees through the window that Miss Durham already has a guest. It's Sam Hopkins, the friendly fisherman, and they seem to be very agitated. Sam says, it can't be the boy. It's been too long. He's dead, I tell you, dead. And she also hears Miss Durham mention something about an old whistle. So now more curious and frightened than ever, Marianne rushes home and starts reading that old town history book cover to cover. And what she reads is more terrifying than she could even imagine. Not only was everything that Miss Durham said about Simon Wardwell true, she also reads that Simon could summon his devilish acolytes with the devil's hornpipe, a small brass whistle he always carried upon him. Um, I laughed a lot every time they mentioned the devil's hornpipe because to me it sounds like some sort of drug paraphernalia that your eighth grade teacher would warn you about. <laughs> the devil's hornpipe is uh, what I imagined my um, like middle school gym coaches. That's the sound that they made when they yeah. they blew their whistles at me when I wasn't participating. So when Simon was being put to death, he struck this vitriolic curse on the citizens of the town and all their future descendants. He warned that one day one of his heirs would carry out vengeance upon all of them. Upon Simon's death, the townsfolk stormed the cove where Simon and his coven met and they massacred all of Simon's remaining followers. And the book reads, the stink and pestilential odor of the bodies lingered for weeks and months, and none of the townsfolk ever wanted to settle on that land again. So this explains why the cove was so stinky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and Marianne is brave A.H., brave as heck. She <laughs> immediately understands that this curse and the devil's hornpipe are behind all the strange things happening in the town, and Peter is that heir that is meant to carry out Simon Wardwell's revenge. So she goes to see Miss Durham the next day and is horrified to learn that Miss Durham is gravely ill, not with an ordinary illness, but due to Simon's curse. Miss Durham gives Marianne a ring that belonged to her ancestor Catherine and told her that it would protect her. And she tells her to take Sam and go to the cove to try to stop this ritual that would allow Simon to fully possess the body of Peter and basically be resurrected. And Sam is all too eager to help, as he has feared the situation 
ever since he picked Peter up from that cove all those months ago. They get to the cove just before midnight. A sudden huge crash of lightning illuminates the scene from their worst nightmares. They're looking down on an amphitheater with a large stone slab and gathered around in a circle are the most horrifying, gruesome creatures. Literally, the dead come to life. The book reads, Skeletons half showing through leprous, rotting flesh that hung in tatters from gleaming bones, skulls with bits of hair still plastered and caked on the sides, remnants of ancient clothing draped from their decayed bodies. These were the long-dead servants of Simon Wardwell, butchered 300 years ago, who had risen from their graves at his bidding to worship him and their new master. End quote. For you see, laying on this altar is Peter. Simon intends to complete this ritual where Peter drinks his blood and then Simon's spirit possesses Peter's body. So basically, Peter will become Simon. It's sort of confusing, um, but it makes sense if you believe in magic. (laughs) (laughs) We don't really know like to what end uh, Simon Wardwell is doing this. Um, Like he doesn't really have like a stated goal. Yeah. Um, the most that he manages to do while possessing Peter is kill a few dogs, uh, which is not nice. But like, what else does he want to do? Yeah, he really kind of wastes his time as um, as a bad guy with a mission. You know, he kills these pets. He vandalizes the cemetery. He seems very powerful um, based on the scene that I'm about to discuss next, but he doesn't actually accomplish that much (laughs) so back to dear old sam (laughs) he sees that it's just a few minutes to midnight and he knows he has to do something to save peter so he takes this gold cross necklace from around his neck and he starts marching bravely down the hill towards simon's evil army of worshipers he shouts in the name of all that's holy stop Now, this was a very brave gesture, I thought, and it might have worked (laughs) if he were up against like one lowly vampire or something, but Mm -hmm. Simon and his followers were much too strong. So unfortunately, they easily overtook dear Sam and killed him. (laughs) (laughs) Sam should have recognized how gleaming their bones were. He never stood a chance. And the timing like really wasn't ideal because as soon as that happened, Marianne, holding the ring that Miss Durham gave her, suddenly becomes this conduit for the spirit of Catherine, who again is a very powerful good witch. And she gives a very sassy old English talking to to Simon, and she channels this burst of lightning that's powerful enough for it to swallow up the ground beneath Simon. And basically zaps all of him and his nightmarish followers to smithereens. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So Marianne is hospitalized following the events of that night, which took a tremendous toll on her body, but she will recover. And you'll be pleased to know that Miss Durham has also made a full recovery. And Peter and Marianne are reunited and they make plans to go on their next sailing adventure. And Peter lets her know that he took that old whistle and he threw it into the ocean as far as he could. I certainly hope he has a good arm. <laughs> and that's the end of this super chilling tale. <laughs> uh, until until a puffer fish uh, just latches on to the devil's hornpipe and starts puffing away. Yeah. Or until just a normal 
swimmer goes out about 30 feet and finds this steps on a piece of metal and is like oh what's this <laughs> or or it's monty monty goes he thinks they're playing fetch again no monty, no that would have been a great way for it to end monty just comes trotting up all wet with the whistle in his mouth and they go monty no and then he goes Oof. <laughs> oh no and then simon wardwell has to possess monty <laughs> His other ancestor. (laughs) So our next segment is our fashion commentary, which we call Blood and Lace, where we comment on all of the cool and crazy outfits in this book. And in this book, there really weren't that many. (laughs) But I just had one that I wanted to point out that I just was thought was sort of a funny fashion moment. So this is when Marianne and Sam go out to the cove. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And Sam is just like such a gentle old man. He really wants to protect Marianne from the cold weather. So he gives her this foul weather coat, as they call it in the book. But it's like a raincoat. So it says, Marianne tried on the foul weather coat, but the sleeves hung well past her fingertips. Taking it off, she threw it around her like a cape and tied the arms around her neck. <laughs> uh, not really actually serving much of a purpose at that point, <laughs> other than just looking nice and jaunty. Just roll up the sleeves. You're not doing anything if you have like a superhero cape. But, um, you know, maybe it made her feel more confident um, for her mission. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was the only fashion moment I noted as well, um, though I did find it uh, medium remarkable that when they are uh, uh, swimming off the side of the boat uh, early in the text in the in the cove, uh, Marianne is described as wearing a bikini in a Christian mm-hmm. book, in a Christian <laughs> book in the early 80s. Marianne, have no shame. I think I think like they, they also are described as like trying to cover up their near nakedness. It was very intense for a moment there. <laughs> this, this book has a few um, somewhat uh, uh, loaded moments, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, uh... Some confusing messaging for the young readers. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Should I be ashamed of my body? Should I not be ashamed of it? <laughs> oh, what? What's that sound that's blowing oh, across no. the waters? Oh, no. To shore? Is it a wind of some kind? A devil wind, perhaps? <laughs> Everybody knows the tides are controlled by the moon, though. The bad moon. And that's what we're going to talk about. Um <laughs> This is a segment where we like to talk about all of the goofy, zany, strange, peculiar, beguiling, and uh, 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 whispery moments in a text. This book has its share. Um, It's a little bit drier, I would say, than our usual zany books, um, though it certainly has its its fair share of moments. Um, So let's get into it. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, we got a a couple of couple few moments here in the early chapters let's start on page 21 where we have a strange uh courting ritual uh between marianne and uh what's his name peter uh, uh called <laughs> ghostly fingers <laughs> at the top of page 21 peter turned his head away he was puzzled 
He was sure he'd heard someone, although it hadn't really sounded like Marianne. She must be playing tricks on him, he thought. She must have disguised her voice. She wasn't going to get away with that. Trying to give him a scare, then lying there looking innocent. He would see how she reacted to some <laughs> ghostly fingers. Uh, and of course, she responds, as you'd expect, um, from being attacked while she's just like lounging, like sunning on this boat. Ah, stop it, stop it, stop it. Uh, giggling hysterically. Yeah, so uh, tickling, also known as ghostly fingers. And you should do it to anybody who you perceive is trying to trick you, whether or not they are. Um, Peter has another gross moment on page 23. Uh, this is when <laughs> Peter is blowing that whistle of his. You can't tell Peter not to blow his whistle. <laughs> uh, middle of the page. This time, the sound that came out was loud and unnerving. It sounded like a lost voice crying out for help, like a wail at a funeral. The sound carried far and echoed unpleasantly throughout the whole cove. Marianne frowned at the noise. Peter blew on the whistle again, and this time he varied the strength of his breath and moved his tongue rapidly back and forth across the mouthpiece to see what kind of noise he could make. <laughs> oh, boy. So you see what I mean? This book is a little um, intense. <laughs> Sorry, Mom, yeah. uh, uh, for the listener at home, Katie is fanning herself down with her book because this is a little hot and heavy. <laughs> He's playing that thing like a harmonica. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> um, there's, this is a super small moment. Most of these are small, but this one is a, a funny small one. It's right after, um, <laughs> it's right after Sam picks up uh, Marianne. Um, and, you know, he's picked her up in the middle of a storm. It's kind of just a, by chance that uh, he even saw her, their little sailboat. And, uh, uh, he says this about halfway down the page. I was just about ready to head back in when I saw you tossing out there in that little boat and couldn't believe my eyes. He turned to the tiny galley and continued. You must have been doing some mighty heavy praying today, girl. <laughs> Are you hungry? I'll fix you a sandwich while you tell me what you're doing out there all by yourself. <laughs> yeah, so I like the idea of doing some mighty heavy praying for a man, a creepy man with sandwiches to come and uh, uh, help you out. Um, oh, <laughs> yes, uh, this follows right after uh, Sam offers her the sandwiches on page 39. Uh, this is actually very funny to me. Uh, I know it's probably supernaturally induced. I don't care. It's very funny. Uh, Marianne is very concerned about Peter, who's still missing, right? You know, she got saved by Sam, but where's Peter? He's off, you know, bumping his head and being possessed and stuff. Yeah. Uh, 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 Sam opens the door and he says uh, down at the bottom of page 39 we'll find your friend peter don't you worry i'll make you a sandwich later <laughs> when he had gone marianne looked around the cabin it was neat and clean and the galley was scrubbed and shining she thought about peter for a few moments then her eyes closed and in spite of her worries she was soon curled <laughs> up on the bunk sound asleep such concern she has for her missing boyfriend <laughs> i thought that was sort of funny as well and i also have to say if someone is so nice that they rescue you from sea and mul offer you multiple sandwiches, like the least you could do is go in front of them when they try to sacrifice themselves <laughs> no, in no, no. case of an evil demon. You wait for them to make the needless sacrifice <laughs> and then you show up and toss a ring. That's It's just the order of operations. Uh, 
<laughs> uh, we see some more considerate behavior from Marianne just a few pages later on 43. Uh, this is when they actually do find Peter and he's like conked out lying at the base of a tree. And uh, it goes like this about halfway down the page. Marianne put her arms around Peter and tried to comfort him. He did not respond. She began to talk nervously about what had happened to her after they had gotten separated in the fog. At first, she ignored Peter's lack of response. Then she laughed uneasily and said, Peter, it's me, Marianne. Remember me? I'm the girl you came with. Peter sat rigidly, his face completely expressionless. <laughs> Remember, he does have like a head wound here. Looking at him, Marianne felt a flash of anger. She had been through a lot, too. Didn't he care? <laughs> i love that i love like you're looking at somebody who has clearly been through something way worse than you who has like a head wound and is just like splayed out and you're like why aren't you worried about me she's been taking naps and eating sandwiches but it was stinky on the island so we'll give it her was that very stinky and she did not consent necessarily to going to stinky cove uh, that is that was his choice <laughs> Let's see. Um, this next one. Oh, yeah. It's another uh, weird, weirdly sexual moment in the text. <laughs> Page 51. This is uh, Peter thinking here. It must be the wind, he thought. He remembered that when he was a small boy, he had liked to listen to the sounds of the rain and the wind in the trees outside his bedroom. The rustle of leaves and the branches scratching against the house always made him shiver deliciously. <laughs> Like, like a good ghost story. <laughs> I love the idea of just this little boy sitting by a window as it's raining outside and going, ooh, delicious. <laughs> True freak energy. On page 56, uh, we recognize that the, <laughs> the head trauma to Peter may be more severe than we uh, thought before. Um, this is, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, third paragraph on the page. Calm down, said Mary Ann, putting her arm gently around his shoulder. I'll tell you what happened as best I can. The last thing I remember before we got separated in that awful fog was you showing me that old whistle you found in the rubbish. And then, dot, 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 for the next hour, he listened <laughs> carefully to her story, hoping to find some clue to his own experience. An hour? How did that possibly take her an hour to explain? We're only like 50 pages in. It doesn't take that long to read, and it definitely did not take that long to narrate the basic events. I think, you know, he just, she needed to repeat herself a couple times. He wasn't really picking up what she was putting down. Yeah, I mean, she had to explain everything that she went through because he didn't know that side of the story. You know what? You're, you're absolutely right. She needed to go through the emotional experience, which yeah. is hard to convey. Granted. Um, some more strange behavior from Marianne. So we, we noted that um, Peter starts going real, um, uh, well, like lukewarm and then cold with her. Um, where sometimes he'll acknowledge her existence and other times he just like doesn't even recognize who she is like walks by her in the hallway uh, and she's growing very frustrated by this she's like we used to be boyfriend and girlfriend uh, so she decides to do something very strange on 63 she says or she thinks here she had spent hours helping him get through calculus the year before she smiled at that thought then became serious again as her thoughts returned to the present what was wrong with him? It couldn't be just that little bump on the head. Well, the only way she would find out, she decided, was to ask. 
After school that day, she waited for Peter by his locker. When he came down the hall, she ran up to him and gave him a quick kiss on the cheek, just to see what his reaction would be. To her shock, he acted as if nothing was wrong. Smiling at her, he said, Hi, Marianne. Nice to see you. How was your day? Uh, this is a boy who has, like, not even talked to her for several weeks. And she just, like, walks up and kisses him on the cheek. That's a that's a really sort of weird behavior, I think. Yeah, he very clearly broke up with her over a whistle. So I think that's a pretty clear <laughs> signal that he doesn't want to be with her. And also a pretty clear signal that she should move on. You know? I think so. He likes the whistle more than he likes you. They're they're not going to be parted. Let's see. On <laughs> another super small moment made me laugh. Page seventy four. This is right after uh, Marianne comes back from her first meeting with uh, Mrs. or no Miss Durham. Uh, she goes and as she's talking to her uh, single mother. Remember, her father is dead. Uh, she's having dinner with her mom. And uh, she's describing Miss Durham. She says, and this is maybe where we can get the sense that uh, this book was written by a woman who would be 100 years old now. Um, <laughs> ah, you know, she said, crunching down on a celery stick she took from a bowl. She's a pretty nice old gal. Hmm, <laughs> that salad looks super. <laughs> yep. Uh you know, that's that's how teenagers talk in the 1980s and yeah. the 90s and the OOs and forever. That's just how they talk. Uh, <laughs> um, all right. So my favorite moment in the book actually comes on page 80. Um, uh, chief O'Connell is the uh, the chief of the police who is investigating the series of uh, dog murders as well as uh, a graveyard desecration. And it's the latter that's being commented upon here. Uh, one of his sergeants went out to look at the scene of the desecration and described it in the most ostentatious, funniest way possible <laughs> on page 80, though I guess we'll, we'll start on 79, the very end here. It seems that vandals had gone in there and had done serious damage to some of the headstones and graves. It was not the usual sort of destruction one expected from vandals. However, such as spray paint, graffiti, or randomly toppled headstones, instead, the names of the deceased had been thoroughly chiseled off the headstones. What had puzzled Chief O'Connor was his sergeant's comment that the damage seemed selective. It was, the sergeant had said, as if someone was trying to blot out the sacred memory of certain folk. <laughs> uh, you ever just had somebody try to blot out your sacred memory? <laughs> I hope that never happens to me, but I feel like it probably will at some point. <laughs> so here's a question for you. So if Simon doesn't at this point have corporeal form, then who was doing this chiseling? Uh, uh, Peter. Remember how he was saying that he woke up really tired every morning? Because he oh, was doing like... he was out in the graveyard doing chiseling. And he, that means he killed all those dogs too. Peter, oh my god! Yeah, we don't want Peter to remember this. I mean, thankfully, he will never remember it. This boy can't retain anything. Calculus or dog murders. <laughs> Um, so next moment is a great Peter moment on page 89. Now, in the context of the, the text, we know what's going on here. Uh, Peter is being increasingly possessed by his ancestor, Simon, at random odd times, mostly at night, but it seems now, as we're getting towards the climax of things, even during the day. Um, we have, uh, 
uh, I believe this is uh, Marianne talking to Miss Durham, and she's describing how, uh, quote, a friend of mine who's in one of his classes told me that the other day, right in the middle of class, Peter jumped up and ran out of the room without so much as a word to anyone. His face was all contorted, she said, like he was in pain. The teacher was worried about him and followed him out. And when they came back in later, Peter seemed to be better. But my friend described it as a kind of fit that came upon him very suddenly. So, like, in the real world, I think that, you know, he probably just had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in the world of the story, we're meant to believe, oh, no, that's a, that's a bad old uh, 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 Simon possession. Yeah, he had to do some midday chiseling. Um, we have another, uh, Peter moment on, uh, 101 where we see the effects of, uh, uh, Peter's, uh, <laughs> middle of class and nighttime, uh, possessions. Oh, I'm just tired. Peter mumbled to himself. He shouldn't have been, but it was the truth. Although he got to bed on time every night, he still woke up feeling as if he'd been out all night. He was stiff legged and groggy and his muscles ached. Sometimes during the middle of the day, he just wanted to lie down wherever he was and sleep deeply, hearing nothing but the sounds of the ocean and the low voices of the woods, the woods, the <laughs> woods. So uh, my question is, is Peter possessed or is he simply in his 30s? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm just saying I'm relating a lot to him. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds very gentle. That's the sound that my alarm clock makes right now, actually. Our wood sounds. <laughs> oh, no. Do you have any uh, 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 ancient ancestors? No, none at all. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's, I'm really, that's very heartening to hear. I'm the first one. <laughs> um, okay, so this is, this is just a sentence, but it's a lovely turn of phrase on page 91. It's a moment uh, where Marianne is going to visit Miss Durham and she's outside of Miss Durham's and she's uh, decided to pry her for information by bringing her a chicken pot pie that her mother made for their dinner because they had extras. And it's just a great way to phrase this. Uh, 91 near the bottom. Confused, she stared helplessly at the chicken pot pie still warm in her <laughs> hand. <laughs> I just love the idea of like looking and going like, what? <laughs> How did this get here? <laughs> Why is it here? Oh, boy. Um, we do have some great dialogue from uh, Simon Wardwell as he's possessing Peter. He, again, is coming out more and more as time goes on, especially as we get closer and closer to Hollow's Eve. Uh, at one moment, Peter, on page 102, uh, is talking to some friends of his who's asking him, uh, they're asking him what he's going to be at the Halloween party, which we never even go to the Halloween party, which is a real I know. disappointment. I was hoping for some Halloween costume descriptions because Marianne also talks about how she has to go home and make a Halloween costume. What are they going to be? Oh, we'll never we, know. We hear... We hear that the previous year, Peter went as a uh, shipwrecked sailor, and he just, like, showed up all wet and was, like, <laughs> dripping all over everybody, which is, admittedly, a pretty cool costume, uh, although it doesn't last you that long. Still, pretty funny. Anyway, uh, as they're talking, and they're like, hey, Peter, what are you going to be this year? We loved you when you dripped on us. Um, uh, Peter slash Simon snaps at bottom of 102. You should not jest at all Hallow's Eve, my young <laughs> friends, said Peter. There is much that walks the night and the fogs that does not suffer laughter easily nor well. 
It would be wise for you to show respect for powers you know nothing of. <laughs> he continued to stare coldly and haughtily at the two young men for a moment longer, who just stare at him like, uh, okay. <laughs> and as they leave, the two friends are like, I don't know, Peter's starting to be really weird and snobby. <laughs> <laughs> he thinks he's too good for us. He thinks he's too good for Halloween. <laughs> Uh, he has other good moments later on, like when he talks to, um, like during the climactic showdown, uh, uh, Simon gets in some good zingers, like saying, uh, thy meddlesome goodness is one that I like a lot. And <laughs> this one doesn't quite work for the early modern English they're, uh, they're striving towards. Quote, your band of village yokels. <laughs> mm, wow. <laughs> I do love the word yokel. On page 122, we have... (laughs) This one's just, you know, theater of the mind. Uh, Near the bottom, we have the description of that smell that emanates from the cove, uh, but now is all over town. At last, she, Marianne, wiped her eyes and looked over at him. Sam, what was that? It was like some huge beast with horrible claws had torn the place to pieces. You never saw anything like it. And the smell was incredible. Like the worst vomit you can imagine. What is the worst vomit you can imagine? I can only imagine the one kind. (laughs) (laughs) Well, see, no, I'm picturing Margot's three hot dog vomit. That's the Mm. worst vomit I can imagine. Yeah, that wouldn't be great. See our previous episode on uh, Return of the Evil Twin for more vomit descriptions. (laughs) The rest, the, my final bad moonlight moments come in the climactic duel um, that occurs between uh, Marianne and Peter slash Simon. Um, but first, we do have to take a moment to admire the incredibly gruesome death of Sam. Uh, the only really gruesome moment in this text, you know, there is some like dog death, but it's it's all described kind of off the page. But here, nope, we see Sam die <laughs> big time. Um, so I'm just going to read a few paragraphs here for you because it's really quite, quite gruesome. Uh, then suddenly without warning, Simon placed his hand on Sam's forehead and pressed it hard against his skin. Sam let out a horrible shriek of agony as the hand seared its way into his head. The awful smell of burning flesh and bone spread gruesomely across the clearing and into the woods. As suddenly as he had touched Sam, Simon took his hand away, leaving a burning palm print on the poor man's forehead. But instead of dying away, the glow on Simon's head began to burn brighter. As Sam knelt before Simon, frozen in his death agony, the fiery glow of the palm print spread across his face and head and down his body. In a moment's time, Sam was glowing and burning like a torch. Soon his figure was visible only as an indistinct shape, surrounded by rings of hot flame that blazed with horrible color and crackled with a ghastly sizzle. The flames went out, leaving a hazy cloud of putrid smoke that drifted lazily away. Sam still knelt, his head thrown back, his mouth open in a silent scream, but he was carved out of ash, like the remains of a burnt log in a fireplace. Simon laughed, and the force of his breath scattered what was left of Sam Hopkins to the wind, leaving only some scraps of charred cloth and leather and pieces of blackened bone lying on the ground where Sam had been. Oh, boy. That's like the most gruesome thing we have read in a Super Chillers book by far. Uh, this man is immolated. He's turned into a statue of ash that a laugh blows away. I know. Whoa. 
That was so disturbing and so unnecessary. Like, <laughs> why did it have to be Sam? Why couldn't it just be like a random, a random townsperson? <sighs> I don't know. I, I this is. I mean, remember, keep in mind, this is a good Christian book, uh, or at least ostensibly is. Uh, and I think it's. Um, I think he's a martyr. Yeah. Is what it is. He's that sort of literary figure of someone who dies an absolutely horrific death. Uh, because of his faith in the Lord and praying mightily hard. Oh boy, Sam. But he wasn't even related to the townspeople that Simon wanted to take revenge upon, nor were those dogs that he killed. I mean, technically those dogs (laughs) weren't related to those people, so... Adopted. Yeah. Adopted dogs. (laughs) (laughs) So all the deaths that actually occur in this book, like... They weren't actually performing the revenge that they so strongly strove for. That's what I'm saying. Simon really bad at revenge. He did yeah. not nail it in the short time that he had. Yeah. Um, well, thankfully, we don't have to worry because once uh, <laughs> once Sam is dead, we have uh, Marianne coming up and being possessed by, what's her name? Catherine. Uh, Catherine Boyden, Boyden to uh, take her... Her uh, her vengeance against Simon again, uh, and this is done largely by throwing uh, that fancy um, enchanted ring at Simon. This is on page one forty three. The ring struck Simon full in the chest and rocked him back on his heels as though he had been hit with a battering ram. As he rocked back, shaken by the ring's awful force, the ring bounced from his chest and fell to the ground at his feet. It began to glow with a strange silver light all its own, as if it held a tiny full moon imprisoned in its depths. The glow grew brighter and brighter as the ring lay on the ground and Simon was forced to turn his eyes away. So that's right. Simon himself was killed by some good moonlight. Oh, how about that? Uh, his actual death scene is on the next page, and it's my final moment uh, because it's actually quite funny. Uh, uh, very bottom of 144. The lightning covered Simon in a torrent of ultimate death. <laughs> As the ground beneath him opened its greedy jaws to swallow him up, the heaven-sent flood of Catherine's vengeance transformed the sorcerer into nothing more than glistening, bleached bones. Like a stick figure, he stood frozen for an instant, a thin, horrid shriek of hate and despair wailing from his petrified lips. Then he vanished into the bottomless pit under him. This is a straight-up Looney Tunes death. <laughs> like, I've seen this happen to Wile E. Coyote. <laughs> Love it. This isn't really specifically related to the book, uh, but my copy of Devil Wind had uh, an interesting cursed item contained within it, which is a ticket to the two Corys film License to Drive that somebody had uh, paid $2.50 for on July 17th of whatever year License to Drive came out. Oh Uh, my goodness. That is so cute. It was being used as a bookmark. That's so nice. I love finding mysterious objects in books. Mine also has this This book uh, was from a group of friends who passed it around and they wrote like to and from on it. Oh uh, so gosh. this was this was to carry from P-T-A-R-I-F. I don't really know what that means. I mean, is it the P-T-A? Like the parent i don't know why they would <laughs> the local pta would be giving carrie this book anyway carrie gave it to billy joe billy joe gave it to chad and then chad kept it that jerk <laughs> chad has good taste 
<laughs> My copy of Devil Wind used to belong to the Saugus High School Library <laughs> in Saugus, Massachusetts. <laughs> I was interested in um, where Saugus High School was, so I looked it up, and um, their vice principal is named Diane Hamburger. <laughs> That is a beautiful name. I love it so much. I feel like I feel like Diane Hamburger needs to be a character in one of these books. I hope so. One of the students that checked out this book on May 9th, 1985 is named Liz Shampoo. No. <laughs> We've reached the point in our episode um, called Win, Lose, or Die, and this is where we rate the book that we just described to you. Win, of course, means it's a great book and we recommend it to you highly. Lose means you can probably skip this one. Um, It's a bit stinky, like that cove. (laughs) (laughs) And Die means um, it's perhaps not the best book in the world, but it's still enjoyable in a fun and silly way. Um, Jeffrey, how did you rate this book? <laughs> uh, toot, toot, toot. I'm blowing my whistle because we've got a win. <laughs> After a very long lose spell, we finally got a winner. Uh, this is a moody, atmosphere-rich little book that doesn't do much, but it does do it well. Uh, the Dark Forces books are, as I've mentioned, notoriously very Christian, and I'm happy to see that this one was not. Uh, in fact, it's nearly heretical in proposing that, hey, you know, you can be a good witch, too. Uh, but you know what? It's surprisingly gnarly, it's very silly, and it's a refreshingly brisk read. Uh, the christian wholesomeness of the teen characters really kind of clashes with the tone of the horror stuff, uh, which makes for a briefly tense and always amusing read. I don't want to oversell this one. It's like, you know, it's not great literature. Uh, It's on the low end of the wind spectrum, but I'll still toot my whistle to that. (laughs) How did you like this one? Is this a stinky cove or a glorious whistle? Uh, This is definitely a glorious whistle. (laughs) Um, I liked it so much, actually. (laughs) It was so much scarier than I thought it would be. I think it's probably the scariest book we've read so far on Super Chillers. Um. I liked all of the detailed, gory descriptions of Simon's gruesome followers and all of his evil acts. You know, again, I could have done without the pet deaths, but I guess they didn't want to make it too scary. Um, To me, that's more scary. (laughs) (laughs) But um, again, that whole last scene where it described the ritual, I felt was so well done. Um, I was riveted. I was on the edge of my seat. (laughs) So I would definitely recommend this book. (laughs) You were riveted like the, uh, the golden plaque that that little goblin on the cover of the book is holding. Yeah. I think maybe that will be my Halloween costume. I'll go as this um, gargoyle figure holding up a sign that says Dark Forces. <laughs> okay, I'll be the sign. Okay, cool. You can just hold me up. <laughs> okay, so our next segment is called Final Exam, where we play a fun game or have some sort of lighthearted segment inspired by the events of this book. Um, Jeffrey, do you have a game? You bet. Do you want to go first or second? Oh, wait, hold on. I should say, darn tootin'. <laughs> uh, I will go first. Okay. All right. So my game 
uh, is called uh, The Warlock's Whistle Has a Cousin. Uh, and it's a bit of a choose-your-own-adventure. And uh, the idea here is that, well, you know, in this book, even though it's called Devil Wind, it could have also just been called The Warlock's Whistle, uh, because that is the inciting object and so I was thinking, well, if a warlock has a whistle, um, can't like other monsters and beasties have their own sort of object that's been cursed in some way? Yeah. And if you picked it up and you used it, what would the repercussions be? Mm. So you're going to be walking through the burnt down uh, shell of Ward <laughs> Wardwell Manor, and you're going to encounter a few different uh, rooms where you're going to have objects presented to you. You're going to hear what they're called, and then you're going to decide which one you're going to use. And then you're going to find out <laughs> what curse falls upon you. Uh, one of these curses is going to be arguably good, and the other one's going to be bad. You want to avoid uh -oh. the bad ones oh, yeah. and hit the good ones. Okay. So you think you got it? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm so excited slash nervous. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Here we go. The warlock's whistle had a cousin. You awaken in a burned-down bedroom of Wardwell Manor. You rub your clearly wild night out of your eyes and head to the charred bathroom. First you try the scorched sink, which only drips blood. Or is it rusty water? In any case, you open the medicine cabinet and pull out either the boogeyman's Kleenex or the banshee's retainer. Which one are you using? You got to use one of them. <laughs> Which is it going to be? Um, yeah, I think I'll go with the Banshee's Retainer. Uh-oh. I don't like your facial expression. Yeah, you didn't choose, <laughs> you didn't choose very well here. Um, so the <laughs> when you put the Banshee's Retainer into your mouth, which is not too different from sticking a rusty old whistle into your mouth, <laughs> by the way, uh, a Banshee appears um, and predicts the deaths of some of your nearest loved ones. Oh, your no. teeth, oh, which no. all rot and fall out in front of you. I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, if you'd chosen the Boogeyman's Kleenex, your sinuses would have cleared right up <laughs> forever. And as long as you keep the Kleenex poking out jauntily from your shirt's breast pocket, you will never again have a runny nose. Oh, That's man. a real good superpower. You should have gone with that. Can I it's try okay. it again? <laughs> uh no so you you just don't have any teeth now but it's Aww. fine um so you continue on toothless uh you walk into the rubble of the burned down kitchen and all the lingering smoke is making you thirsty fortunately you find a melted fridge containing two items mothman's milk jug and bigfoot's capri sun which you <laughs> which you had taken a, a a hearty sip of <laughs> Uh, I think I'll go with Bigfoot's Capri Sun. Oh, dear. Oh, come <laughs> um, on. So, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, once you um, pop pop the straw into that oversized pouch and take a hearty sip, your feet grow unreasonably large and no longer fit into anything but clown shoes. Oh, no. I'm so bad at this game. Uh, if you had uh, chosen Mothman's milk jug, uh, you would have grown a beautiful, delicate pair of moth wings and tiny little antenna that allow you to flutter about two feet off the ground. So not really like all that good, but, you know, no, it's not that bad. No, that's way better than anything I've ever had in my <laughs> life. Well, uh, now you have big feet and no teeth. Uh, so 
let's keep walking. Let's keep uh, trudging around with very large feet. You're like, you're risking falling through the floor now. Um, this is a burned down mansion, you know. All right, you're out to the living room where you can sit on a very crusty and very warm couch and entertain yourself with one of two items. The Gorgon's VCR or the Gremlin's GameCube. Well, I want to say Gremlin's GameCube, but I've been wrong so far with um, all of my guesses. So I'm going to say Gorgon's whatever it is. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. You chose the wrong one. Uh, you watch the Gorgon's VCR. You turn that okay. baby on. Unfortunately, the VCR comes preloaded with the Gorgon's home movies. So oh, no. you're seeing like baby Gorgon's first Halloween, oh. but you're seeing the Gorgon who makes eye contact with the camera and you turn to stone. Oh, no. So, I mean, I will say you can still walk around, you know, to the final room of the house, but you currently have no teeth, very large feet, and you're entirely made of stone. Uh, if you had chosen the Gremlins GameCube, you would have gained Gremlin-like cheat code powers, allowing you to always get the blue shell and Mario Kart Double Dash. That would have been a really good tool to have on your side. That would have been good. Oh, man. Well, that was that was a rough one. <laughs> it's okay. You've got one more room. You can oh, turn okay. this all around. Okay, yes, you're, cool. you're almost there. I mean, those other curses aren't going anywhere. You're stuck oh. with them forever, but... Maybe this one will cure things. Who yeah. knows? All right. Well, you walk into the billiard room of Wardwell Manor. The pool table is toast, so you can't play with that. But you do find a small lockbox containing some other entertainments. There is the Mummy's Tiddlywinks or Dracula's Pogs. Dracula's Pogs. <laughs> <laughs> You did it. You got a good one. Yay. All right. You gain alluring Dracula pheromone powers, but it's of no use to you because you're already elected coolest kid in your fifth grade class once you show off your pogs, which are obviously better than everyone else's. Yeah. Okay. That makes me feel better. I'm glad I'll still have friends, even though I don't have any teeth and I have giant feet and I'm made of stone. You know, it's all looking up from here on out. As long as you have Dracula's <laughs> pogs, you're fine. Uh, if you chose uh, the mummy's tiddlywinks, you would have been cursed to spend the rest of your life trying to figure out how to play tiddlywinks without Googling instructions. Uh, eventually, still befuddled, you are mummified and concealed in your sarcophagus alongside your cursed tiddlywinks, which you still have no idea how to play. You know, you might find this surprising, but I do know how to play tiddlywinks. <laughs> <laughs> Did you um, play Tiddlywinks as a kid? I did. I played it at my grandmother's house. Um, oh, nice. I'll teach you one day. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Tiddlywinks is very much like a grandma game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's it. You have survived a night at Wardwell Manor, and you have discovered all of the many cousins that the Warlock's Whistle has. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, like most choose your own adventure games um i was not very good at that <laughs> they're very they're hard to be good at you always choose wrong i can never trust my um first instinct that's a good lesson for myself um never trust your first instinct katie <laughs> <laughs> okay um so for my game uh it doesn't necessarily have a name 
But basically, this book, as you know, is about a cursed antique whistle. So it made me wonder, are there other cursed items available for sale that our listeners could purchase and bring into their homes? So I did Perfect. some searching on Etsy and I found <laughs> some <laughs> some antique objects that sellers guarantee carry a curse. And this Ooh. is real. This isn't made up. Um, all of these items are available for sale. Uh, we could link to it on our Instagram. Purchase at your own risk. <laughs> Wait, so like what is the return policy here? Are we sure these are fully guaranteed? <laughs> okay. So basically, I'm going to show you a picture of um, these items and, um, you know, ask you to describe them. I'm interested in knowing how much you think these items cost. And I would also like for you to tell me what kind of curse this would bestow onto the new author or Ooh. to the new owner. Cool. Um, and again, these are available for sale in case you want to bestow onto <laughs> thine own self one of these curses. <laughs> okay. So I'll also explain what the actual curse is. Okay, I'm putting the first um, picture in the chat. Oh, okay. Is that a manchichi in a stocking? <laughs> um, I think it's like one of those precious moments figurines. Okay, so this is like, all right, so it is it is the little somewhat simian-shaped child, <laughs> uh, very small, lives inside of a stocking mm -hmm. that, let me, oh, I made it bigger, that's all patched up, so it's, it's a busted old stocking, not even a good one. Um, yeah, her, her eyes are little teardrops, so she's very, very sad. Her yeah. hair has seen better days. Um, uh, so this is a cursed item. What is yeah. its curse? Um, I think the curse here is you never get a good night of sleep again. Oh. Um, not because you're terrified of this, um, uh, doll, but because much like the doll, you are cursed to, uh, sleep in a sleeping bag that has <laughs> holes in it for the rest of time while Christmas music is playing. Cause she's wearing a little Santa hat. I guess it could I be a sleep cap, Yeah, but it's, it looks like a Santa cap. And probably just Little Drummer Boy. It's just the Little Drummer Boy. <laughs> <laughs> On repeat. Parum pum pum pum. Um, how much would you pay for something like this? Um, so with that curse, I would pay uh eleven ninety-nine. <laughs> okay. So this item on Etsy, the title of it is very long, and it is Highly haunted, precious moments, Christmas doll, Nicole, mysterious spirit, dangerous, cursed, haunted energy, not for the novice owner. And it costs $1,313.13. All right. I need a bit more than just calling it highly haunted to drop that sort of bank on it. There is a very long story um, in the description, but basically, um, so this doll was... Um, found by a woman wrapped up on her car seat with an anonymous gift that or with an anonymous note that read Merry Christmas Susan you deserve her <laughs> so the second that um Susan brought this doll into her home of course um you know people started hearing crashes started seeing shadows around their house um they started getting mysterious threatening phone calls um <laughs> And one of the phone calls <laughs> threatened to kill um, Susan's 
daughter-in-law who is named Michelle, and eventually Michelle ended up going missing and was never seen again. <laughs> oh, Michelle, R.I.P. Um, so this doll has a lot of dark energy around it. Um, it says um, that the doll Nicole... Nicole's wrath is nothing to play with. And it said that Nicole picked her own sale price. She knows who her next <laughs> owner will be. And this special person will pay that price because she's worth it. <laughs> uh, so we can really blame inflation on Nicole, the uh, precious moments doll. Um, okay. So here's why Nicole, this uh, cursed doll is, or excuse me, highly haunted doll is not that scary. Mm. Uh, she still has a tag. That's not very haunted. Like if so, you if you saw Annabelle and she still had like her price tag, <laughs> would you really be that afraid of her? No. Yeah. Um, so it does say that she is a nineteen ninety-four Precious Moments exclusive limited edition doll with tags attached. Um, but I think it's more like a spirit lives within Nicole, this precious moments doll. So the spirit Nicole is probably much older um mm-hmm. but you know it's hard to say um i i don't i don't know for sure we'll have to buy it and just see yeah, what happens we'll have to buy it yeah. <laughs> all right okay. we're starting up a gofundme <laughs> <laughs> we'll use all of our patreon money to buy cursed objects <laughs> we don't have a patreon <laughs> okay um i'm sending you the next item <laughs> um okay this is this is a milk jug full of styrofoam balls, like little tiny styrofoam balls or beads from like a uh, like a stuffed animal. Is that what I'm looking at? Yeah, I want to say the beads are just for display purposes only. I think it's the okay. milk jug we're looking at. It's just the milk jug. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So this is a haunted or excuse me, a highly haunted milk jug. Yes. Um, what is its curse? Um, well, I... I imagine it has to be worse than Mothman's milk jug. Um, I think that uh, you are you are cursed to what, whatever uh, liquid you drink out of uh, this milk jug uh, looks exactly like these little beads inside of it. Uh, very curdled. No good. Uh, you will not enjoy drinking it. You know what it looks like? Um, Nickelodeon Flom. It Do you does, remember yeah. Flom? It looks like Flom. <laughs> For, may you forever drink Flom. <laughs> um, how much would you pay for a product like this? Uh, well, if it did contain Flom, uh, <laughs> at least fifteen to twenty dollars. Um, but as is, just a milk jug. Yeah. Negative uh, two dollars. They mm. could pay me to recycle it for them. <laughs> so this one um costs thirty nine eighty two. Um, not a terrible price, and it's called. The Halloween milk bottle of Friedberg. So um, this was discovered in Friedberg, Germany, um, which is sort of around the Black Forest of Germany. Um, And in 1925, a man named Hans Fischer came across a mysterious cabin deep in the Black Forest. And the cabin appeared abandoned. So Hans took this milk jug. But within months of having stolen this milk jug, um, Hans became mysteriously ill. Um, He started out weighing 180 pounds, and within one month, he weighed only 85 pounds. So basically, he kept eating, kept eating as much as he could eat, but he was um, losing weight so quickly. Um, He was eating like seven meals a day. 
Um, and eventually, once he passed away, um, his wife, who is now like the new like owner of the milk jug, suffered from the same symptoms. Her appetite was ravenous, but she continued to lose substantial weight and eventually died um, because of this haunted milk jug. So um, this highly haunted protein shake. Yeah, yeah, this is like Stephen King's thinner. That's the plot to Stephen King's. Oh, thinner. <laughs> maybe that's where they got this idea. But um. You should also know to the person that purchases this cursed milk bottle, it does come meticulously packaged in a custom box and accompanied by a weathered scroll detailing the item's personal history. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Written by Hans himself. I love that um, Hans broke into this abandoned cabin. He's like, hmm, what here should I take? Oh, that, that's a nice milk jug right there. I'm going to take that with me. Nobody will miss it. Well, you know, 1925, those were hard times. <laughs> okay, uh, here's the next item. Okay, so let me know what you think of this. Oh, okay. So here I am looking at, um, it's a little jewelry, um, you know, like one of those single piece of jewelry, like a ring case mm -hmm. um, that has, it's, it's, it kind of looks like a Christmas ornament that mm -hmm. is like almost kind of like a, a circular vial filled with some sort of blue liquid. There's some bubbles mm -hmm. at the bottom and the top of it um, uh, going up uh, this neck to um, a little cap that has a, a, you know, a hook or a little circle hook on it so you can hang or display it. This would not yeah. fit inside that that little ring circular ring jewelry case if you closed it <laughs> it would definitely break so i don't yeah. know why it's being displayed like that and it's on top of like a like a <laughs> i don't even know what it's on top of <laughs> some sort of like mottled scorched uh <laughs> plate yeah drum i don't know um i have no idea what we're looking at here this is not cursed is it, is it supposed to be like ectoplasm Okay, so first of all, um, even though this item is a bit confusing, how much would you pay for it, do you think? Okay, I would pay, uh, <laughs> uh, well, I guess it does look kind of cool, um, so $7. Okay, cool. Um, this item is $446.54. It's a bit above um, my budget, yeah. Yeah, you can divide the payments up over time with Klarna for only $75 a oh, month. Oh, <laughs> well, now I'm considering. So it's called Antique Genuine Witch's Poison Bottle Pendant Conduit Item. Serious Collectors Only. This is not a toy. Um, that's what oh. its title is called. So... Okay. Um, the bottle is filled with mercury. That's that blue liquid that you're seeing inside of it. And when you shake okay. the bottle, it forms silver mercury balls. Um, so this traditionally would be worn where like a tiny amount would be dispersed into food or drink. So you could like, I guess, poison people discreetly with this little with this little bottle. But the important thing is that this item also houses its previous owner, which makes this item extremely rare indeed. Um, and they will include a full history of the original owner as well. So you're getting not only the pendant, which is filled with mercury, which is very toxic, um, but you're also getting, you know, the ghost that comes inside the pendant. <laughs> all, right, all right, all of a sudden, was it 4.99? Sounds like a good deal. Four hundred forty-six fifty-four. Four. Are well. All right. I'm sold. 
Okay. <laughs> okay, and I have um, just one more, which is my favorite. I feel like it will also be your favorite. <laughs> I'm sure it will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm looking at an item. Um, it, wow, this is really hard to describe. Uh, <laughs> it's it's rectangular. It seems to be sitting on top of a burlap sack, which is placed on top of uh, somebody's wooden porch that really needs to be maintained. Mm-hmm. Um, it's oh wow, I, what does this item look like? Uh, it's it's glossy and black. It has a red ribbon printed <laughs> on it that's that's been sort of ripped. And well, not in half, but close to in half. Uh, and uh, there's a word next to it that says eclipse. <laughs> and down at the bottom, it says the number one New York Times bestseller <laughs> by Stephanie, which is spelled funny, Stephanie My- Meyer. I don't know what this thing is, but it's it's clearly <laughs> highly haunted. <laughs> Um, I would pay uh, $2,000 for this. <laughs> and um, I think I would just die instantly when I touched it, but I wouldn't care. It would be worth it. Yeah. Okay. So um, this, it is a book. Oh. <laughs> um, to some readers, you might recognize it as a part of the Twilight series called The Eclipse by Stephanie Meyer, but that's not what it is, okay? This oh, yeah, book I did, okay. is called um, Stephanie, 200-Year-Old Haunted Book, Positive, um, Bisexual <laughs> Vampire, Artistic, Loves Poetry, Very Seductive. So what you're getting for this book, which comes at the low, low price of $145, Ooh. is um, the spirit <laughs> of this um, 200-year-old vampire named Stephanie, who um, was born in what is now known as Austin, Texas. Um, <laughs> she now lives within this book, um, and it says that she chose this as her vessel because um, she has a lot in common with Bella Swan, who is the main character of the Twilight books. <laughs> and um, this, um, this spirit of this vampire... Um, she communicates through touch, energy, large orbs, telepathy, um, trigger objects, dreams, and seduction. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot that you're getting in addition to this um, New York Times bestseller. <laughs> you're, you're getting a friend. Um, how does this this uh, uh, 200-year-old vampire spell her name? Is it also spelled like Stephanie Myers? Yeah, it's the same way. Um S-T-E-P-H-E-N-I-E. Yeah. Interesting. That, that, that What a coincidence. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so what was what what was the vessel that Stephanie, the 200-year-old vampire, was in before encountering this book? Um, um, I don't know. What was the first book in the Twilight series? <laughs> <laughs> she just hopped from book to book. I want to know what she was doing before then. What were you up to, Stephanie, in Austin, Texas? Yeah, um, you know, she just has great taste in literature, so I assume she's been living in books for a while. Um, so, you know, it's too late for these to be Christmas gifts, but too early for them to be next year's Christmas gifts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you won't, you won't survive that long if you purchase any one of these. You will not make it to next Christmas. Yeah, so thanks for playing this game of um, Cursed Objects from Etsy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
All right, everybody. It is time for us to pick our next book. This would be our book for February. Uh, Katie, as usual, is reaching into the Super Chillers beret, the branded beret. Uh, uh, (laughs) While she is doing that, I want to remind you that you can send us your email feedback at superchillerspod at gmail.com, superchillerspod at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Uh, we would love to have another uh, cha- uh, chain letter uh, segment on the show sometime <laughs> soon. So please send us anything you want via email. We will read it out here live on the air. Uh, you can also follow us at super underscore chillers on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the provider of your choice. Katie, what are we reading for February? For February, we're reading. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, it's The Biker, which is part of the Nightmare Hall series by Diane Ho. (laughs) Vroom, vroom, vroom. Oh, I'm excited. Too Uh, fast, too furious. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Too biker, too clad in leather. (laughs) I can't wait to find out what this biker is up to. Yeah. The titular biker. I love Diane Ho's books, and I really love the Nightmare Hall series. They're so much fun, and there's always a ton of great outfits in them. <laughs> have you have you read all of the Fear Street books? Time for Nightmare Hall. Yeah. We're in college now. <laughs> <laughs> As we close, Jeffrey, do you have any advice for our student bodies? Remember, don't jest on Hollow's Eve. If you do, someone might try to blot out your sacred memory. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) And I would like to warn our student bodies, if you blow on the devil's worn pipe, don't inhale. (laughs) (laughs) Good night. Good night. (laughs) 